Romans chapter 5. This message is needful for us. It is one of those messages that we come back to over and over. If there's one chapter in the Bible that I recommend just making it a matter of committing it to um, your memory, committing it to knowing that you can find encouragement in Romans chapter 5, when things happen in your life. I, I just, I've gotten imagine how throughout history, the church and those of the Lord's people, how many have found encouragement in Romans chapter 5? Uh, no matter what was going on outside of, you know, persecution or uh, things of suffering. And chapter 5 deals with our hope. Now, the question is, is can a Christian have hope? Now, you know, nowadays it seems like hope is a generic term. It gets thrown around and, and it, we don't understand the weight of what hope really is. Paul uh, summed up the Old Testament by saying the hope of Israel. The hope of Israel was the Messiah, was Jesus Christ. Now we have the hope of the gospel. We have the hope of the resurrection. As God's people, we can come to Romans 5 and find great nourishment. Throughout all of the trials of our lives, we just continue to come back to it. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and through verse 11, now we're going to look at five ways the Christian has hope. And the, what hope is, is, is an expectation of something good. Faith is believing in the present. It's believing in the present promises of God. Hope is believing in the expectation those promises will be fulfilled. Hope looks to the future. Hope looks to the things that are, have not yet happened. Faith is believing and trusting in what God has done. A lot of people have faulty hope. They have false hope. A lot of people, you know, you ask them, are they going to go to heaven when you die? And they'll say, well, I hope so. Well, what you need to do is figure out, well, what's that hope standing on? What's the foundation underneath that hope? There was um, a medical clinic, and there was a terminally young man, or he was terminally ill, and it was a young man. It was a new doctor, and the new doctor told this young man, he said, I want you to know that you only have a year to live. You know, he's kind of crude and horrible bedside manner. And so the, the, the boy's regular doctor was the next week, and the boy was crying. He said, that man took away my hope. And the, his regular doctor said, well, I guess he did. It's time you find a new one. What's our hope based on? Is our hope based on your condition, that we're going to live forever? Is our hope based on medicine? Is it based in man? Is it based in... You know, we don't want to think about our own frailty. We don't want to think about uh, the sickness that may come or the diagnosis that we're afraid to hear. Uh, what's your hope? What's your everyday hope based on? And I hope it's not on those things. I hope it's not based on uh, medicine and faulty things that are deceiving. God tells us we have a sure hope because it's built on a sure foundation. And we can trust the Lord. We can have hope in the promises of God that they will come true 
They will be true. And that is what Romans chapter 5 really helps us do. It comes, there's reasons we can hope. And I'm going to give you five points, and I hope to get to all five of them. I don't know if I will or not. But I want you to write them down just in case I don't, because again, this is a a chapter I would love for you just to make a mental bookmark in your mind that when life is starting to get real, you get that horrible bad news and you're a child of God, where can I go to find hope? Come to Romans chapter 5. And we're going to see five different reasons. First of all, we have hope in, in God because we have peace with God in justification. Second, we have hope because we have access to God in our reconciliation. Third, we have confidence in God in all of our trials. Fourth, we can have hope in God because we have the love of God not only felt, but it's shown to us. It's demonstrated on the cross. Number five, we can have hope because we have assurance of our salvation and our safety from the wrath of God to come. Well, first, it says here in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we see that verse in every one of these points. I'll probably be going by a little bit quickly. I know I will be. Uh, so each of these is just a study unto itself. But what is this justification? What is this peace with God? And you see that, peace with God. And notice it didn't say peace of God. We certainly have the peace of God. The Bible teaches that, that we have a peace which passeth all understanding and how the Lord has shed his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But this is talking strictly about justification in verse 1. So what is the peace he's talking about? He's talking about a judicial peace. We have a peace with the state. Justification only deals with law. It only deals with legal. It only deals with justification. Now, Paul had argued from chapter 1 to 4 up to this point, all of this led to being justified by faith. He had, he had argued that, that we are not righteous, we are not good in the eyes of the Lord according to the law, which he has given man. Whether it's written in your heart or if it's written on a tablet, whatever, whatever your conscience is, your morals are, your moral compass, all have fallen short of the standard of God. No one can stand before God. And what that means is I'm unrighteous. I'm not right in the eyes of God. Now, there is a legal ramification to that. Now, think of the courtroom. If you are found guilty, you are what is called condemned. You're condemned by the court. You have been found guilty and you will go and you will serve your punishment. Now, being justified is being pardoned by the court. And all of the things which you have done, and you can leave that place in being free, and you have been pardoned and you are free, you're justified. Both of those are considered law terms. Now, the biggest question of man up until this time is how can I be right in the eyes of God? That was all through time. I remember uh, Bildad the Shuhite said that. How can man, which is a worm, which is beneath the worm, how can they be right with God? Job said, if there was only one who could take my 
condition before God, if there was just one man, as I am man, that could put their hand on God and hand on man and that could plead, plead for me. And we see that that man is the man Christ Jesus. He is the daysman. He is the go-between. That Jesus ha is the answer to that. Now, um, justification deals with your account. My wife reminded me uh, yesterday that student loans are going to start kicking back in for repayment. I don't know how many of you all have student loans out there, but um, my countenance fell <laughs> when I figured out that student, when she told me that student loans were coming back. I mean, uh, I have a lot of student loans uh, that I need to pay back, and I will. I'm not looking for a bailout. I will pay back what I owe. Uh, but that's in my account. It's a debt I owe. Legally, in an, an obligation, I owe this debt. It's in my account. Think about sin. Sin is in all of our account. You have sin in your account that's sitting there. You've not been able to pay it back because God's Justice for that sin is yet to come, and he will pour out his wrath upon you. You know, a lot of people, it just, if you're you know, like a lot of people, you have a credit card, and you just keep charging, keep charging. You know, I'll, I'll deal with that debt later. I'll deal with that debt later. I'll deal with that debt later. You completely forget about the debt. God has not forgotten about our sin debt. God has not forgotten about the sins of the past. There will be a payday. And the word of God says that the wages of sin is death. That's an eternal death. That's the punishment of God. And all of us know this won't be a surprise. Romans chapter 1 tells us in Romans chapter 3 that all of the world, all mouths will be stopped and all of the world will become guilty before him. There will be no one who can plead their own case and say, I didn't know. I didn't know you existed, God. I didn't know what I was doing was wrong. All of us have that conscience of right and wrong. Boy, it's a sin debt. Justification. What does justification do? It takes your account of sin and it wipes it clean. It'd be like you coming along, and I'm highly suggesting you do, and paying for all my student loans. <laughs> clean. There's no record. There's no record. As I stand before God, what does God require before him? Righteousness. God cannot dwell with sin. He cannot be in the presence of sin. I've got all of this sin in my account. Oh, if there was just one who could pay that sin debt, and that's Jesus. Jesus has paid that sin debt. How are we justified? How do I have peace with the state? I have all this sin debt that I owe. I have peace with God. I have peace with the state. I have peace with the judge. I have peace judicially because my sin debt has been marked clear. Because God had charged Jesus all of my sin when he went to the cross. Jesus paid for my penalty. Jesus paid for my sin. Jesus paid for all the sin that I have committed, will commit, and forever, anytime will commit. He paid it all. It's paid in full. That's what justification is. Isn't that a great ground of hope? 
Isn't that great that, you know, I'm justified today, I'm justified tomorrow. I'm not going to lose my justification. I now am justified. And that's what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Now there is no more condemnation. Now there is, I, I do not have a charge on my record. Because of what God did. God charged Jesus' record with my debt. And he charged my record with Jesus' innocence. And that's called imputed righteousness and imputed guilt. He charged Jesus with my guilt. What a hope that we can have. Secondly, we see in verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Secondly, we see that we have access. We can have hope. We have a sure hope, not some flimsy, throwaway hope, not some generic thing. I'm talking about when life gets real. Can you have hope in the hopeless? When the doctor gives you that bad news, can you have hope in that hopelessness? His hope is real hope because it's built on God. The, the ever unchanging one. And guess what? We have access into the very throne room of God wherein we stand by the grace of God. That's what it says in verse 2. We're doing a beautiful study of Hebrews on in, in Wednesday. And um, if you would, if, if you don't need to or have to, but in Hebrews chapter 10, we saw this, this verse jump out at us as an amazing verse. And it ties in with the access which we have to God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, it says this, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What that means is the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promise. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. Why? Because he is faithful who has promised. That means your hope. Paul says we are saved by hope. I have all confidence in God. I have all confidence that I can come to God. That Jesus has abolished. That Jesus, the, the separation. Now back in the Old Testament, we see that there was a veil that was there. The people could not go, the common people could not go into the presence of God. There to the altar of God. There the Shekinah glory, the glory of God. It was only one man who could. That was the high priest. And he went in once a year to offer up the sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the people. But in Hebrews, we see that Jesus has gone on into the holy, the spiritual sanctuary, not the sanctuary on earth, but the eternal sanctuary. And he has offered up once for all the blood of the atonement the blood of the sacrifice, and he is my high priest. He has abolished the veil. When he was crucified on the cross, it said the veil rent from the top to the bottom. That means our separation is no more. We can come boldly 
to God in the throne room of God and having the veil abolished, that is to say, his flesh. Well, we have hope by whom we have this access back in chapter 5, verse 2. We have access into this grace wherein we stand. Where do we stand? In grace. You do not stand from grace. You know what? If you fall, you cannot fall from grace. You fall in grace. There's many who do fall. Many Christians that stumble. We know that many, there's backsliding. There's, there's matters of life that Christians struggle with and they need to return to the Lord. Understanding and seeing the, the, the love and the goodness of God and the forbearance, the long-suffering, not the permission to live your life any way you want, the forbearance of God leadeth thee to repentance. So when you return to the Lord, you return to him, we see that it is not, you never fell from grace. Because you are in grace. If you fall, you fall in grace. And I've said this illustration before. If you fall in this building, are you falling from it? No, you're falling in it. How could you possibly fall from this building? Think about that. How could you ever possibly fall from this building? Well, you've got to be outside of it. You've got to be on the other side of that wall. Then you can fall from it. Those who are not in grace can fall from grace all day long. Those who are in grace cannot because it is God who has secured us through the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ from eternity. He determined from eternity past. Uh, your path is laid out before God. He is sovereign on his throne and all things are after the counsel of his own will and it will not be thwarted. All things will be accomplished according to his will. But we need to move along. Uh, the third thing we see, I mean, not only do we have peace with God, we have access to God in this grace wherein we stand. But in verses uh, 2 through 5, uh, the end of 5, it says that we rejoice in the hope of glory, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Look at this. We have knowledge. That's what it says in verse 3. If there's a word that jumps out at you, it's knowing. What do we as God's people know? That means we're not without knowledge. That does not, it means as we go through trials of life, suffering through life, things of life that seem to be causing hopelessness, we have knowledge. That what is happening to us is not arbitrary. What's happening to us is not out of the counsel, the counsel of God, that we know as God's people that he loves us and that he said he'll never forsake us nor leave us. We know from the word of God that there are trials of faith, that we know in Peter that he said that he purges the dross of unbelief in these trials. The hotter the furnace, the more it hurts, but the more purification it does to your faith. The more you draw closer to God, the more you experience the things of life which draw you closer to God, the more experience you get in the patience of hope and the more endurance you get. God's building you up. God's building your strength and faith. 
That's our knowledge. That's what we know. We know that all things work together for good to them who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. It's for my good and his glory. And what a hope. Even the things that you others may in the world say, man, they're just having a horrible year or just when it rains, it pours one thing after another. But we know better. We know better. Because it says in verse 4, or verse 3, these, we glory in the tribulations, knowing that God's doing something. He's working something in our lives. And we, we know that these tribulations work patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Listen, when we get to the perspective that this life is not about this one, Eternal life is not going to be about this short time, which we have here. God's going to fold all things up as he does a garment, and all things will become new. We will stand in the majesty of God our Father, and the things which happen to us in, these, in this life, in this breath of life, is not about, you know, it, so many times we get caught up and thinking this is all there is, this is all that's going to happen, and, and uh, woe is me, and think it's... And that's easy to do. <laughs> Those are my feelings too, many, many times. I have self-pity so many times. I know it's a very easy temptation to do, but, but can we stand back in those times and think, Lord, this is, there's a lot bigger eternity that's going to happen. What's, what's the lesson here, Lord? What's the lesson? And we lean on him. Even when we don't understand, we lean on him. And we know that one day the Lord's going to fold all this up as a garment. And forever we will be with the Lord. Even those who have passed from our lives and, and we're grief stricken and, and no one is trivializing any of that. I've, and I couldn't imagine just some of the, you know, losing a child even. Um, the grief that bears into the heart. No one's trivializing any of those things. But, you know, there was a time in, in my life when I was just, I was helpless. And Jason was sick. And, and I was in the car and I watched the ambulance come and it was out of my hands. I know many of you have been in that situation where it's out of your hands. You don't know what's going to happen. And all you can do is just sit in that steering wheel and watch it. And... The Lord sheds his love abroad in your heart. And he says, it's okay. It's okay. He's got this. It's okay that the Lord has this and it's in his plan. I'm not saying that I put all my faith that the Lord would heal Jason. I'm saying all I did was put my faith and this is God's will. And he does all things well. And I love him. And you know what? you think it's going to wreck the rest of your life because we're only thinking about this life. We're not seeing the bigger picture. That bigger picture is based on this hope. This is the strong hope which we have. We know there's a bigger picture. And verse 5, not only do we know that, we feel it. Because we feel, in verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now think about that. That means that, that 
This hope will not make us ashamed. That means that we will never be disappointed for how much trust you put in God. You will never be disappointed. Go ahead. Go hook, line, and sinker into his promises because you will never be disappointed. Actually, you will be blessed and you'll have that peace. Not only do we experience the love of God. Now, is this love that we experience self-manufactured? That's not what it says. It says, verse 5, it's shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. We, we're weak. <laughs> we are weak. We have weak frames. I'm worried about things and I'm not, I shouldn't be worried about, but it's human. I'm weak. But you know what? You're going to look back in your life, and you're going to say, the Lord led me all the way. When I needed grace, God gave me grace. You know, there's no sense of worrying about tomorrow. God has already done all things where he is going to give you grace, the grace that you need. We can trust in him. Amen. We can trust in the Lord. Um, I ran out of time, but can we have hope for tomorrow? The, the last part was we shall be saved from wrath from him. Well, let me just continue reading and then we'll be done. Uh, verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the love I was talking about we experience in verse 5, and we've been demonstrated in verse 8. We see the love of God towards us. Verse 9, much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath from him, or through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. What hope we have that we shall be saved from the wrath of God because we are in Christ. We are in the position that Christ has us in. We are in union with him. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And God has given him a name above every name, the name of Jesus. And all praise, all praise should go to Jesus Christ. All knees will bow, all tongues will confess. He demonstrated his blood or his love to us. I want to say this because um, I don't know if, if you all, something disturbed me. And the Lord convict me of it. And I want to share it with you. Um, have you ever had unrequited love towards someone? You love them, but they don't love you back. Um, some parents, unfortunately, go through that with their children. You love them. You love them. You love them, but they're not. They're treating you poorly. They're, they're, they're not loving you back. It, it is crushing you because you love them so much. And I got to thinking about that. What would it be like? Because I love my children, and if you have children, grandchildren, wives, you love them. And I, I've had nightmares before where just, you know, April would be like, uh, I don't care. I don't care if you love me. I've had nightmares about things like that. 
And I was like, that was so unsettling to me. I hated it. I hated the fact that I loved them so much and they treated me like dirt. They treated me, they were spitting on my love for them. And the Lord convicted me right there. He said, Philip, every time you're not thankful, you are spitting on God's love. Every time. You, if, if, if there's another woman, you're thinking on that woman, you know what? You are spitting on the love of God because the love of God has provided you with your wife or your husband. You are sinning against God. You are being unthankful any time that you have unpure thoughts. You are being unthankful any time that you're not content in your life. How many times, even though God loved me, he shows me how much he loves me. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he first loved us. Now, look at this. God commended his love towards us in that why we were yet sinners. When we were enemies to God. God loved us with an unrequited love. We didn't love him back. We hated him. How much more does that demonstrate to you the love of God to you? It, wasn't, it was unconditional love. That's only a love that you can have as a parent to a child, is an unconditional love. And the Lord convicted me, and I, I, I repented before the Lord. Lord, forgive me. Whenever I sin against you, what I'm doing is I am returning hate towards your love to me. I'm returning despisement to you because what's sin? Sin is not your love for the Lord. Sin is your love for yourself. And I, I pray the Lord has richly blessed you. Well, understand hope, the weight of hope. We have the hope of the resurrection. We have the hope of the gospel. All those things are built upon the promises of Jesus Christ, our more sure foundation. And I pray the Lord has encouraged you with the message today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've come together. Lord, thank you for your eternal word. We ask you to forgive us of our sins. Father, when we do not return your love to us. Father, we love you because you first loved us. But Father, sin and rebellion of our heart is not returning love to you. Forgive us where we fail when we do that. But Father, the message today that we be encouraged by the hope which we have, how it is built upon a better foundation, built upon better promises. It's built upon Jesus Christ who has fulfilled all things. And you have fulfilled all things. Lord, we can have a sure fast Steady hope. Lord, where all we do is we watch and we wait and we endure in faith, Father, with you strengthening us day by day. Lord, may we be a help to others who need help. May we love others. Lord, may we be compassionate and merciful on those around us as you have been compassionate and merciful upon us. I pray for all your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.